happy Easter, everybody. Uh, so excited for today. Uh, so excited as we celebrate, uh, man, the resurrection. That's what today is all about. It's, it's not about bunnies and eggs. And, and while we had an amazing outreach, an amazing uh, time of, of meeting the people where they were, today is about the empty tomb. Today is about our risen Savior, that he is risen, he is risen indeed. Today, is, as we see that the, the tomb was empty, as, as they came to there and that stone was rolled away and he was not in there. And the, the angel says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? That he has come back. And so it, it is, it's, it's such an amazing story of redemption as, as, as he has now reconciled man, provided the way. You see, this, this morning, Easter morning, it is the fulfillment of God's promise, his plan for redemption. It's the fulfillment of the gospel. We talked last week uh, as we were looking at Palm Sunday, and Christ says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come for the gospel. And as Christ went to the garden, and he is kneeling there, and he's praying with, uh, to God, and he's asking if there is any other way to let this cup pass, but if not my will, but your own. He knew it was time for the gospel. The time had come. As, as he's going to the cross, as he is nailed there, enduring the pain, enduring the wrath of God, he knew the time had come for the gospel. And then as he arose today, we see on that morning that the time had come. The gospel had been fulfilled. The Christ came, he died, and he rose so that man could be redeemed. That's what drives us as a church. It's what drives us as believers. Everything we do is based on, is focused on the truth that we have been saved from our sins because of the work of Christ on the cross. Because of the good news that he has brought into this world, we can have hope. We can have redemption. We can have a relationship with God. The gospel is what we need in this world more than anything else. And so we're, I'm excited as, as we come into Easter morning, it's a perfect time to start this new study. Now we have seen the gospel in action. We have seen, we have witnessed Christ fulfill the gospel, fulfill what was needed. And now we're going to start looking in the book of Romans. We're going to understand our need for the gospel. We're going to look at calling this study a case for the gospel. You see the book of Romans, written by Paul, about 25 years after Christ's death and resurrection. Paul the Apostle, and we'll talk more about him here in a minute. But he writes this book, and it is, by most scholars will say, this is the most theologically sound, the most theologically significant book in the Bible. The Gospels show us Christ, show us as he walked, show us he went and he died. And now Paul lays out that this is the reason he did it. This is what you need to understand. This is the gospel. And he does it in such an amazing and a powerful way. Paul was an amazing orator, an amazing uh, a speaker. As a matter of fact, this book is, is so powerful. It's such an amazing argument that it's said that for the first 100 to 150 years, Harvard required their law students to study the book to better understand how to argue cases. Paul does an amazing job providing an argument for the gospel. And so this study, as we do it over the, the, the coming months, we're going we're to see our need for the gospel. 
We're going to see as Paul lays this out. So we're going to start right at the very beginning. We're going to start in Romans 1. We're going to work through this verse by verse. We're going to go through the first 17 today. And so I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Romans 1. If you don't have one, the, they are there in front of you. And like I said, they are bookmarked to the page. You can also fire up your device uh, if you've got the free app. And also, we want you to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We believe everybody should have God's Word available to them. Thank God we live in a country where we can uh, freely have it, freely carry it. So if you don't have one, we would love to be able to gift you a Bible. And so we're going to read through these and then break down as Paul starts to elaborate on this case. So beginning in verse 1, I read out of the NASB. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved in God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with, uh, with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine." I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that, I have, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. 14. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, thank you that you have provided us with guidance. Lord, we invite you in here today. Let your spirit be in here. Work on our hearts. Guide us in our need for the gospel, Father. Help us to understand your ways. May this message be pleasing to you, and may it glorify you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this is a letter by Paul. Paul, like I said, he was an apostle. Uh, Paul actually wrote quite a few, for those who may know, he wrote quite a few of the, the books in the Bible, the letters of Paul. He, he wrote these two churches. Uh, these Paul was an evangelist. He went out, he helped to, to plant, to, to create new churches, left people in charge, and then he would keep in contact with them. And so we see these, you know, the book of Romans written to the church at Rome, uh, the book of uh, the first and second Corinthians, the church at Corinth, Thessalonians, the church at Thessalonica, many more. And then he also wrote letters to certain men, men that he had poured into, and he was sending words of encouragement, Titus, Timothy. 
And Paul's letters, they tend to follow a similar pattern as we look through them. Uh, Paul first identifies himself in some way and says who he is. He did, you know, and here we see him again, he says he's Paul. And then, then the next piece is, is he will pray a blessing over the, the people that he's writing the letter to. And then the third piece is, is generally he gives some direction, some guidance they need. I mean, oftentimes it's, it's basically, we, for the love of all that's holy, please stop doing stupid stuff. And then he ends with a closing benediction, a closing prayer. He says, somebody says hi. Priscilla says hi or something, but, you know, the saints are with you. But we see, we see this pattern. We're going to see it as we work through Romans. And Paul starts it off right in the very beginning. He starts off, he identifies himself. I mean, he says, Paul. He says, this is written from Paul. And then he uses three descriptors to identify himself. First, he says he's a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Now, that word bondservant, that's not a word that we use very often in today's society. It's, it carries a little bit of a stigma with it. The, the, the Greek word for bondservant is doulos. It actually is translated best as slave. And Paul is saying that he is a slave of Christ Jesus. But this is a willing slave, not out of a place of obligation. See, Paul realized he had been bought with a price. Paul knew the price that he had been paid was, was Christ's blood on the cross, his body that was broken so that he could be redeemed. And so Paul sees this as a badge of honor, that I'm owned by Christ. He's mine. And so I willingly, he says, I willingly want to serve him. You know, it's, it's, if you purchase something, you go out and purchase a car, it's yours to do what you will with it. If you purchase golf clubs or, or a motorcycle, whatever it is, it's yours to do what you want. You own it. Paul's saying, Christ owns me. He has bought me, and he says, I'm joyful for it. He considered it a privilege to be a slave to Jesus. But not, not only that, he then says, called as an apostle. And this, I love this, because the story of Paul, for those who may not know it, it's an amazing story. You see, right after Christ, he'd been crucified, walked, came back to life, walked the earth, ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit descends upon the, the upper room, on the day of Pentecost, they begin to speak in tongues so that the gospel can go out and Christianity, the church is born. The church begins to go out. The Jewish leaders don't like this. They didn't like Christ in the first place. They're the reason he, they wanted him crucified. They wanted to take him out, but he overcame them. And now here they're hearing this word go out, these Christians that are, are starting to spread. And so they see them as an, ins, an insurrection. They want to stop it. And they bring on certain men to go out and to, to persecute these Christians. These men, they, they go out, they capture them, they bring them in for trial, they beat them, they even have them killed in the name of Christianity, the first martyrs. Stephen was one of the first martyrs. As we read in Acts, as he is giving the amazing sermon, and then he's stoned to death, and in the background is this gentleman named Saul. It's... it's believed that Saul orchestrated that. He was a persecutor. He was a Pharisee, a very smart man. But Saul has an encounter with the living God on the road to Damascus. As he's on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears before him. And in that blinding light, he says, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus, he says, I am the one you persecute, Jesus Christ. In that moment, Saul, the Pharisee, who'd been trained through the Old Testament scriptures, he hears God say, I am. The same God that told Moses, 
I am that I am. And I believe that, that in that moment, Paul, Saul became Paul. His eyes were opened. He saw the truth of Christ. He was converted. He became a, a disciple of Christ. And so Paul says he was called as an apostle, one of the founding pillars of the church. Paul's saying, I didn't choose this. He goes, I was on the other side of the fence. I was persecuting. But now he's saying, I'm called. God has called me out to the church. And he says when he called me out, he then uses the third descriptor. He says that he was set apart for the gospel of God. He's saying God called me out and Christ gave me a mission. Christ says that Paul is going to suffer for him. Paul was the disciple, called himself the disciple to the Gentiles. To take the, the good news of the gospel out into the lost world. And so he says, I've been set aside. I'm, I'm, I've been chosen to do ministry for God. So Paul was a slave who had been bought with a price. He was called by God and set apart for the gospel. If you've put your faith in Jesus, if you believe that he is the risen Savior and he has done the work so that you can be forgiven of your sins and you call him Lord, you have been bought with a price. You have been called into his church. And you have been set apart for the ministry of the gospel. You are what Paul was. You're God's chosen instrument to take the gospel out into a lost and broken world. And so Paul, he describes himself this because this is what his life was focused on. This is what brought him joy. This is what should bring us all joy, to take this hope out. And so he, in the next piece of this letter, the letter to Rome, and, and what's interesting, he's never even been to this church. He's never been to them. But he writes this letter, and the first thing he wants to put out there is he wants to lay the gospel out for them. He wants them to hear this to make sure they know it because it's so important to him. He says, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. Verses 2 and into 3. Again, Paul had the Old Testament. Didn't have the New Testament. He wrote most of the New Testament. He didn't have. He had the Scriptures, though. And Paul's saying that Jesus, everything about Jesus is what the Scriptures point to. This whole book is a book about Jesus. Every page, if anybody asks you, what is the book about, what's the Bible about, it's about Jesus. Every word, every sentence, every paragraph, every book, it's about Jesus from beginning to end. In the Garden of Eden, when God promised that the seed of woman would crush the enemy, that's Jesus. When Abraham took his son Isaac up to offer as a sacrifice and God gave the substitutionary ram, that's Jesus. In Israel, or in Egypt, with the Passover lamb, when God tells them to slaughter the lamb and to wipe the blood, to cover their doors with the blood so they could be saved. That's Jesus. When they crossed through the Red Sea, the parting of the way so they could go from, from bondage and into freedom. That's Jesus. Friday, we read about the suffering servant who would suffer for mankind. That's Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. And Paul wants them to know that. And then he wants them to understand who Christ is, why it's so important to the gospel. 
He says, he was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. Jesus Christ, he was 100% man. He was born of the flesh. He fulfilled the prophecy, the promise that God gave to David that he would have a, a descendant that would sit and rule on the throne forever. But then he also said that he was declared the Son of God by the power of resurrection. He defeated death. He came back to life. He's 100% God. Man can't bring themselves to life, but Jesus can. So he's 100% man. He's 100% God. He can do what he says he can do because he is who he says he is. And Paul says that's so crucial because this man named Jesus died, was buried, and he arose on the third day. It's the gospel. Paul lays this gospel out for them. And then he tells them the whole purpose of his mission, what he's been set apart for there in verse 5. He says that they received grace and apostleship, this, this mission. The mission was simply to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. The obedience of faith. He says that the reason I'm here, what I, I'm called to do, is to bring obedience of faith to those who are far from God. The Gentiles, those who were not part of the Jewish people. They were not part of God's chosen people. The Jews were set aside as God's chosen. He says Jesus died for everybody. And that's what Paul's mission is, is to bring about obedience. You see, because he wasn't only for the Jews, it means he's for all those who will respond in faith. And obedience is that first act of faith for the non-believer. Trusting God. It's not an intellectual thing. It's not something that you think. No, it is an active response to what God has done. Walking in faith is an active response to what he's done. And obedience is a true measure of a person's faith. Paul, Paul wanted to see the world change, to see the gospel affect people in such ways that it changed their conduct. It changed them from who they were into something else. Because you see, without change, is there really faith? If you say you know Jesus, you say you know God, but, but you are still living in the same selfish, self-filled, self-desiring ways that are against His will, are you truly walking in faith? Are you being obedient to Him? Maybe you say, I know God. I know God, yeah. I know Jesus, but do you know him as your Lord? Do you know him as the king of kings, the one who died for you? Does, has he changed your life? Does your life reflect one that has been paid for with the ultimate price? You see, the only way... To, to have a relationship with God is through a submittal to, to His will. And His will is for you to believe in His Son and to have a life changed. And we see that change through obedience. Obedience first comes through faith. The first step of obedience is faith in Jesus Christ. The second, it's actually the first act of obedience, and that's baptism. First you believe, and then you have a believer's baptism. It's not sprinkling as a baby. It is, the word baptism is literally trans. Uh, uh, is, is translated as to be submersed and some believers baptism. If you, be, you believe you are buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life, to proclaim to the world that you believe Jesus is your Lord 
and you want to walk in obedience to his will. And so Paul lays out for them right off the bat the gospel, what he's there for, what the purpose of his ministry is. And he says that you're saints. You have been called by Jesus. See, this was written to both the believers and the non-believers. He's helping them to understand this need for the gospel. To all the beloved in Rome called as saints. If you put your faith in Christ, you're a saint. I'm a saint. I don't act very saintly sometimes, but in God's eyes, we're saints. And then Paul writes about his purpose for this to them. Again, this is a church he's not been to. He's never been there. He, he hasn't been a part of it like he had at Ephesus or, or Galatia. But he wants to let them know why he's writing to them. You see, he wanted to go to Rome. Paul longed to go to Rome. Paul saw this in all his, minist- his uh, missionary journeys that he took. He saw Rome as the stepping stone to Spain and from Spain on to the rest of the world. Everything in the world went through Rome. Rome was the metropolis, the center point of the world at that time. And he saw that as his path to get the gospel throughout the world. And so he longed to go. He says, always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. There in verse 10, he says, I I want to come to you so bad. I long to see you be able to pour into you and you to pour into me. He says, when when we're surrounded with other believers, there's so much growth that happens and I want to be there to help you grow and I want you to help me. He says that he looks forward to coming, that he may obtain some fruit. He knows what they're doing. He says that their, their faith is being proclaimed around the world. And he says, I want to come be a part of that. I want to come be a part of what God's doing. Listen, let's find where God's working. Let's go be a part of what God's doing. God was doing a work in Rome. Paul wanted to go there. Paul's doing a work here in New Hampshire, here in Hooksit. Let's go be part of it. If he's doing a work in Manchester, let's go be a part of it. Let's join him where he is. Paul says, I want to be a part of that. There in verse 13, so that I may obtain some fruit among you. He says, I want to see people saved. I want to see people know the gospel. He felt obligated to it. That was his calling. That was where he's supposed to be. In verse 14, he says, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians. He said, this is my job. I've got to come to you. I can't control it. Unfortunately, Paul, he made it to Rome as a captive. He wrote most of his letters while he was in prison, led the jailers to come to know Christ. He had a captive audience, led them to salvation, and ultimately, Paul was beheaded, martyred. For Jesus. But he says, man, he says, I am, in 15, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also here in Rome. He he was so eager to take this good news out. And then verse 16 and 17, this is where we're going to get into the, the meat of what the book of Romans is about. You see, these two verses, as we transition into these, these are so pivotal to the New Testament. In here, in these verses, Paul lays out this logical case for why the gospel, and the gospel alone is the answer to all of the world's problems. He logically breaks down that it doesn't matter what's going on, doesn't matter what you're struggling with, he says, the gospel is the answer. You're dealing with addiction, the gospel is the answer. You've got brokenness, your marriage is falling apart, the gospel is the answer. 
You've been mistreated and abused by family members, by loved ones, by friends. The gospel is the answer. Paul wants them to understand that it doesn't matter what they're going through. The gospel is the answer to the world's problems. People, I'm here to tell you now, that's why we're here. Because the gospel is the answer to the world's problems. His whole theology, everything Paul believes is summarized in these two verses. And it's not just his theology. This is the tenet of Christianity. This is our core beliefs. Is right here in two verses. Brings it all together. Paul starts off in verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Are we ashamed of the gospel? Are we too scared to go tell our neighbors because it might offend them? They don't want to hear it. Our family members don't want to hear this. They don't want to be preached at. Are we ashamed of it? I don't know why, because we're not ashamed of anything else. We put our whole lives out on social media. Stuff we should never put out there. I can tell you I've told more than one story that was embarrassing about me. I wasn't ashamed about that one to my coworkers. But I'm ashamed to share the gospel because they might get offended. It might not work on them. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. The power, he said, it's the power of God. Do you realize the only other thing in the New Testament that is referred to as the power of God is Jesus Christ? Paul says that this is the power of God because the gospel is Jesus. They're both the same. He says, I'm not scared of it. He uses the word dunamis. It's where we get our word for dynamite. There's a lot of power in dynamite. Paul's not saying it's an explosive power. He's saying it's a life-altering, world-changing power. He says the power of God, the gospel, is the power to change people physically and spiritually. It can change them in amazing ways. It's not anything on us. We don't have to have the power. It's God's power. Nothing with us. As a matter of fact, D.L. Moody, the evangelist, he, he described the gospel this way. He says the gospel is like a lion. All we've got to do is open the door to the cage and get out of the way. Let it go. We don't have to do anything because it's God's power. The power is manifested, Paul says, as salvation. For it is the power of God for salvation. Salvation in the power the power that it has, it has the power to save, the power to justify, justification, that we can be deemed righteous in God's eyes. The power for, for reconciliation, that we can be reconciled to a holy and perfect God as sinners because it has the power of redemption. It can redeem us of all our sins, cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. And it has the power of sanctification. Big, big words, I know. But what sanctification means is it's that lifelong change as God sculpts us, as the gospel sculpts us more into the image of Christ. That we can be more like him. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this because it'll change people. It can change them. And he's not talking about universalism. I don't want you to, to think that's what he's saying. He's not saying that everybody's saved because Christ died. No. Because he says that it's the power for salvation to everyone who believes. You've got to have that, that belief. Believe in what? 
What is it they have to believe in? It's simply this. You have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And you also have to believe that he's done the work. He's paid the price. When I baptize someone, I ask them three questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the Lord, the Son of the living God? Yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and arose on the third day? Yes. And have you asked him to be your Lord? Yes. That's what Paul says you have to believe in. Simply that. It's not Jesus plus anything else. It's not Jesus plus. It's not Jesus plus being baptized. That comes after you believe. It's not Jesus plus uh, going through confirmation or Jesus plus confession or Jesus plus doing good works. It's Jesus. It's belief in him. If it's ever Jesus plus, then Jesus wasn't enough. That's saying that, that God wasn't enough. And the blood of Christ is enough to cover anything in this world. It can cover any sin, any brokenness that has ever happened in your life, ever will happen in your life. Jesus is enough. And so, like I said earlier, the only way to submit to, or to, to have a relationship with God is to submit to Him through belief in Christ. You see, what Paul's saying is that it's efficient for everybody, but it's only sufficient for some. He says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's, it's efficient for those who will believe, or sufficient for those who will believe. I got them backwards. Sufficient for all, efficient for some. Only those who believe. Not those who go to a specific church. Not those who read a specific Bible. Not those who do a specific work. Those who have faith. Paul says it has the power to save you. It has the power to save anyone who believes. So why does it have power? What, where does this power come from? And this, this is the theme of this book. This, this, this letter, it's summed up right there in verse 17. He says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. That's what the power is. That's where it comes from. It's the righteousness of God. Paul is saying the gospel is the one and only way for us to be deemed righteous. He's saying there's no other way. It's the righteousness of God is in that and that alone. Only God could deem us righteous. You see, it's not something we earn. It's not something that we can go and do, do good works and be made righteous in God's eyes. Our greatest deeds are like filthy rags. It's something that he has done. It's a gift that God has given to those for their faith. When you put your faith in Christ, God takes your sins and he places them on his son who died on the cross. And he takes his righteousness and he, he places it on you. But you have to accept that gift. Unfortunately, most of this world, when you talk to people, think that salvation is something they have to earn. Something they have to do. When I first came to faith... And I felt called about five, six years ago. I asked my pastor, I said, I want to get involved. What can I do? He says, go out and evangelize. So I went out and evangelized. Went out with team. We went and knocked on doors on Saturday mornings. That sounds kind of scary. Go and knock on someone's door Saturday morning. Hey, you got a moment to talk about Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? 
Maybe it wasn't quite that bold, but it was the most powerful thing I think I've ever done because I had to trust solely on the Holy Spirit and not be ashamed of the gospel. But as we would go and we would knock on these doors, we would have a conversation with Muslims, have a conversation with Jews, with atheists, with believers, with Buddhists, talked with all of them. It was amazing to see God's spirit. But I would ask them, it ultimately lead up to, in your opinion, from what you understand, what you know, what does it take to get into heaven? And what do you think the most common answer was? To be a good person. To be a good person, to do good things. Well, what does that mean? Well, you know, don't, don't sin, don't, don't, don't steal, don't, don't, you know, don't murder people. Are you a good person? Yeah, I think I'm a good person. I think I'm good. Really. If the Bible said something otherwise, could I share that with you? If the Bible says something otherwise as to whether or not we're a good person. Paul says there's something otherwise. And so he says because God has revealed is revealed in the righteousness. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. What he's saying is there's justification by faith. We are justified not because of what we've done, because our greatest deeds are like filthy rags. And there are none who seek God, not one. Our heart is purely evil. So nothing we could ever do is good enough. So Paul is saying, and it's, it's, it, we're going to talk about this throughout this, this book, that we are justified solely by faith. He writes in Ephesians 2, when he writes to them, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul's saying, you can't earn it. You can't do it. It's only through Christ. See, the gospel isn't just good advice. As we're going to see through this, it's not just good advice. It's the good news that the battle is over and Christ has won. He has finished the work. And we get to reap the benefits. We get to be blessed. We get to be seen as righteous through our faith in God. And so I'm excited as we continue through the book of Romans, as we continue to pursue through this and see as Paul helps us to see our need, provide a case for the gospel on how it is the only way to God. As we get to see how through Christ we can have redemption, justification by faith. I want to make sure that you truly understand what it means to hear the gospel. And the gospel is, is simply this, that you were created on purpose and for a great purpose. You weren't created to be rich. You weren't created to be famous. You were created for one purpose only, and that was to have a right relationship with God. You were created to be with him. He saw this world and thought you need to be in it because he loved you. But unfortunately, because of sin, sin that entered this world through Adam and Eve and has progressed from, from generation to generation up to each and every one of us now, you are separated from a holy and perfect God. And there's nothing you can do, there's no work you can do to redeem yourself. And so God, in all his wisdom, saw our greatest need, and that was for a Savior. And so at just the right moment in time, he sent down his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross he lived a sinless life. He went to the cross to die for our sins. He bore the wrath of God for, for my sins. The grave that I had dug, he gladly went to. 
and he was buried, and he rose on the third day, proving he was who he says he was, and he can do what he says he can do. And the Bible tells us that if you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you too can be saved. We sing about it today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. God has offered the way. The righteousness of God is seen in the gospel, and he's offering that to you today. It's not just enough to say, I know God. It's not just enough to say, I know Jesus. You need to call on him as your Lord. You need to make that step of obedience. Today is the day. As we celebrate our risen Savior, he's come down off that cross and out of that grave. What better day than today to put your faith in him? I would love to be able to talk to you. Come up and see us. Don't be, don't be scared. I tell you every week that the angels sing louder for one sinner who is saved than a hundred righteous. Come down with us. Pray with us. If you got questions, come see us afterwards. Don't let another moment go by because it's too late when you leave this world. And there are two places, heaven or hell. God's offering you a chance to heaven. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your kindness, your goodness. We thank you for your mercies that are new every day. Lord, most of all, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel, the good news that we have been reconciled through faith. The good news that, that the only one who was holy and worthy paid the price. And that we get to reap the benefits. Lord, I pray. I pray that we never lose sight of that gospel. I pray that, that we have the excitement that we, we read in Paul's letter. That we read. That, that we can be called as, as slaves to you, Lord Jesus. Willingness that we can walk in obedience. That we can be excited that there's power in the gospel. Power to save everyone who believes. Lord, I pray today. I pray that there's someone in here right now that has not handed their life over. They're right there. They've been wrestling with you. They've been seeking you. Lord, I pray today is the day. I pray for your spirit to work in all of our hearts. As we go out, on this Easter day, as we celebrate our risen Savior, Lord, let us go out and share the good news with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors. Lord, I pray that you are glorified in all we do. I pray the kingdom grows today. I pray for all the churches that are preaching your word today. I pray that today is the day that we see the kingdom grow in an amazing way. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love, for your forgiveness. Thank you for your son. So, Lord, we invite you today to join us, guide us. And we pray this in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.